Hey, y'all, and welcome back to Revo Talk, the podcast from Revo Track Resource Management Systems. Uh, my name is Hannah Hansard. I'm one of the hosts here at Revo Talk, and thanks y'all for coming back and listening again. Um, with me today again is my lovely co-host Melissa. Hey, Hannah. Uh, it's so good to be back. So good to uh, be back on the podcast, and um, I I'm so excited about our guest today, Jody. So let's go ahead and get started. Yes, absolutely. So with us today, I am so excited about this conversation, is Professor Jody Rogenson. So Jody is an Associate Professor of Practice at Texas Tech University um, in the College of Media and Communications. She has years of experience in sports communication specifically, as well as owning her own PR agency, specializing in sports publications and statistics. And we are just Barely touching the uh, Jody's career here. So, Jody, thank you, first of all, so much for being here. Well, thank you. It's great to be with both of you. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, I said, you know, we are just barely even touching your career um, and the career that you've had, um, not just in the sports world and PR world, but also, you know, teaching at Texas Tech University, which is. Uh, my alma mater, so wreck them. Um, but first, can you go ahead and just give us a brief overview of your career and what led you to um, teaching at Texas Tech University right now? Great. Well, again, thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for eclipsing my more than 30-year um, career because it, it is when I tell students in the first day of a class, okay, we're going to talk about my career. Back in 1978, and I see their eyes roll over, right? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you I spent um, a couple years working in a PR firm. Then I went and I worked in sports management at a major uh, event center in Southern California before going to work um, for colleges, being really the sports publicist in a role called the sports information director role, which we'll touch on later as we go along this. Um, after years of promoting colleges and college athletes and coaches, I had my own business for a while doing either book production or graphics or helping other people bring their stories to life, which is actually what brought me to Texas Tech the first time is I, I came to work in the athletic department, helping to raise funds and bring awareness to some of the newer programs that were happening in the mid 2000s. And then I actually, at a later stage in life, decided to go back to school and get my master's degree in something called instructional design and technology. My idea for doing that was I wanted to bring, I wanted to scale training opportunities that I was doing for younger colleagues. So how to do the work that you're asked to do, especially like working for a college athletic department. I thought, man, I could train people how to do things faster and better. So that's what led me back to school. But then through good fortune and contacts I had here, uh, the College of Meeting Communication was looking for someone in a role that's called the professor of practice role, which is someone who doesn't need to have a PhD, does need to have, I have a master's in science, for example, in that degree. It requires that you have the experience that they were looking for. Well, I had, I had that. And so I thought, you know, at the time I was actually back living in Southern California again, 
But I thought, you know, Texas Tech was good to me. And if, if I'm going to try a whole new career, why not go back to where I'm already comfortable? So I got into teaching. I came back in 2015. Uh, and honest to goodness, at a late age in life, I found my calling. So that's, that's the, right? I, di- I did that pretty quickly for me. Usually I can go off on long tangents, but I think we got it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that is that is so cool. And it's it's really cool to hear you say that, you, you know, you found your your calling, um, really, you know, after doing so many amazing things, you know, to, to kind of come full circle. And um, I, I know that um, you had mentioned to us, you know, previously, something that I think maybe led to this, right? It, you said um, that saying yes to opportunities leads a person to their best life. So, so when you say that, like, what, what does that mean? Can you kind of explain what you mean by that? I thank you. Great lead in. So I call it my magic carpet ride of a career. I, when I came out of college, right. So, so first, you know, you go to college as an undergraduate and I was the sort of student that, oh, I took a psychology, so all of a sudden I love psychology until you take the second class, and it gets a little harder, and it's a little like, ooh, I don't want to have to learn all that about all these things. Or I took economics, and I love that. And, and so you take the second course, same thing. I didn't love macroeconomics. So, you, you know, you kind of move ahead. Well, when I first got out of college, there weren't a lot of positions um, yeah, of course, A, for women in sports or professional sports. But there weren't a lot in the idea that a sport organization wants to tell its own stories, right? So there weren't a lot of public relations opportunities. But in school, I started, I had somebody say, hey, I, I know you can score keep baseball. Do you think you could learn to do this for basketball? Do you think you could learn to do? And I kept saying yes. And it led me to a really wonderful career and series of opportunities. Um, it's funny when I tell students uh, that I, you know, I really did find my calling as a teacher. I love it. I love working with young people. Um, and I'm blessed in this college. I get to work with both undergraduates and graduate students as they're fine tuning their skills. That's really what I was born to do. But along the way, I've had hundreds of jobs I also loved. So it's a, you know, you, you get into something and then, and certainly there are things that you don't like about any job, but you learn, I like this much more and that saying yes leads you to better opportunities. Here's a good example of that. In college, um, one night we're having, a, we're hosting, a, and I went to a, it's a division one school that's very good in baseball, but it would be considered a very small school now. I went to Cal State Fullerton. And But at the time, right, the basketball team, the men's basketball team was pretty good. And we were hosting a team called Michigan State, right? Big, big school and a big venue. And a couple hours before the game, our announcer called and he had terrible laryngitis. So in a hurry, and I'm an intern in college, right? I'm in my senior year interning in that office. And the only other person, sports information director, looks at me and he says, well, you're going to announce tonight. And I thought, he said, like, I don't see terror. And I said, no, I mean, I, I just need to get a look at the rosters and make sure I know how to pronounce all the players' names. And it turns out I loved it. Turns out that's a thing I've done for years and years at different events. 
and it was it was fun. It was, I mean, now, and it, it is the sort of thing where that was 1979. And I, I actually introduced a player named Irvin Johnson. Wait, okay, look, so see, you guys know who that is, right? Magic Johnson. And it's, it's one of those, that's a, that's a fun throwaway story. It's not like we became best friends or anything, but it happened. That is insane. That is awesome. Wow. Like saying yes to an opportunity and it turning into that. Holy cow. That is amazing. Well, and the, you know, the flip side of that, Hannah, is you also learn what you do and don't like. So you, once you, you've said yes, and then you try it, and then you really, I mean, it's like our mothers taught us to eat the vegetables. Do you really not like spinach or have you just not tried it? And you don't like it because it looks like that. Well, once you've tried it, then you get to make choices, right? Then you get to say, yeah, I, I liked this more than I liked that. But yeah, keeping open and saying yes to those initial opportunities is so important. No, for sure. And honestly, Jody, I want to go back to something that you said a little earlier about, you know, not only saying yes to the opportunities, but whenever you are faced with a challenge such as being a woman in the sports industry. You know, whenever you want to say yes so much, but you kind of have a barrier in front of you as being a woman and trying to get into the sports industry. Can you expand on your experience with that and any uh, kind of walls you've had to break through? Well, it's funny when I'm asked this, and I get asked this often, especially by my, um, my very uh, focused female sports media or sport communication students. And I've had several. I've had several who I have one right now who's getting a PhD in sport communication. And she used to talk about, you know, what were the barriers? And I, I honestly think about it and I say, no one could have stopped me from trying everything I tried. But what that means is I don't know the barriers there might have been. I can tell you stories of I, I am a good public address announcer. I was good radio. I did play-by-play. I did early years of the internet, which was a lot of fun. But I would never have been good on television. And the, the joke is, right, I have a face for radio, which is a thing that was said to women like me back then. Um, you know, and they didn't want to let you in the locker rooms and those kinds of things. But that was never my interest. My interest was in doing the statistics, in explaining to people what the statistics meant, in I loved game day operations. So actually, one of my favorite things to do was a skill we used to, it was called play-by-play typing for a basketball game. And with a typewriter, you, you literally typed what was going on on the floor. And that was, it's a hard job. It doesn't exist anymore because we have computers and cameras that do all that. But it was the most creative fun. I would, you know, I would describe a shot as he spun around off balance and shot it from, you know, and I'd name a city. So here in Lubbock, I would have said shot it from Idaloo, which would tell people it was, you know, half court or more. Um, but right. So doing those creative things, it really was using several of my passions, which are being creative and describing something that's happening. Obviously, telling stories, you might already guess that I enjoy storytelling, um, and sort of promoting what is lesser known about a sport. I have had the good fortune to have worked with a lot of teams and individuals who have lost more than they've won. 
And I say the good fortune because it's a hard thing to do, but you find the character of people and you can tell quality stories about people in the times of adversity. Everybody's, you know, the great athlete when they're winning. But you can be the great athlete and the great human when you're losing, too. And those were the stories I really enjoyed. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, to, to think about it from that perspective of, you know, what, what are you learning about a person's character, about, about really who they are at their core when they're faced with, with those challenges and adversity times and, and you having the ability to, to do that and really you know, one of the things that you mentioned is really helping them to, to share those stories, to kind of bring that out. Yeah. You know, one of the things that is lesser connected about what education is, but learning is a series of failures and getting back up again and doing it again. As humans, we don't learn to do anything perfectly the first time or even close. Right. It requires I mean, if you can remember as far back in childhood as maybe learning to tie your shoe which may be one of the most complicated things we humans first learn to do. You learn it through a very serious, you know, a series of very patient uh, adult guidance, right? I remember my father just kind of throwing up his hands and saying, I don't think this kid will ever get it. You know, just, and I, my father and I were really tight, but it was one of those, and I, I had a hard time watching him do his for two reasons. He was left-handed and I'm not. And, and also, if you think about it, watching somebody do something and then trying to emulate it can be very difficult. You have to learn that on your own, trying it over and over again until suddenly one day you can tie your shoe and then you don't even remember learning. Yeah. And then it's muscle memory, right? We don't, we don't ever think of it as being hard, which is probably another reason why it's difficult to teach a child how to tie their shoes because we just, we just do it, right? <laughs> Right. And so learning, and in my case now, becoming a teacher after all those years of telling stories and helping people. And, and honestly, I, especially in my later years of, of working here at Texas Tech, I actually was often tasked with traveling with the teams that were struggling most, whether there was a, you know, a key injury to a player. And so now they're struggling because they've got their third or fourth setter in or pitcher in or uh, the tennis team has, you know, a call, several of their top players aren't doing well, that kind of thing. Um, and, and you become this sort of motivator of and an older person has the perspective that one loss is never going to be the worst thing in the world. Right. And so there were a lot of things about my career in sports that were setting me up to really sort of take a look at what we're doing when we guide somebody through their college experience as teachers. And a lot of that is, um, you know, and, the, and we, we can have a good long philosophical conversation about this, but the educational system often doesn't reward the fact that you have to learn by failing. I call it, you know, creating safe spaces in my classes for a student to try something for the first time, not do it as well as they're going to do it the third or fourth time, but still, you know, get credit for having made that attempt the first time, right? So, and that's hard to do because at scale, especially if you think elementary school, well, students can't continue to fail tests. That's not a good way to assess learning. 
But a test isn't a good way to assess learning either. But it's, it's kind of what we have. And so, yeah, anyway, I, I, again, I'm tangential. I get off the rails sometimes. No, I, I love it. And, and I agree. You know, I just remember growing up, I have always been such a perfectionist. I would, I was, now let me tell you, I, I have never been athletic. I always wanted to be athletic and, you know, I love sports. Anyone who, who knows me knows that I will go on a tangent about Texas Tech athletics for, <laughs> for hours, but um, I was never athletic. And so I would always, I would go and I would try basketball. No, I wasn't good at that. So I literally quit after, <laughs> I, my, my parents actually made me stick that one out for a little bit, but then I would go and I'd try t-ball. And I would quit after the first because I wasn't, um, I wasn't good or I wasn't to the level at that my you know six year old brain thought that I should be. I wasn't as good as this professional athlete at six years old. But I but I would quit right. And so um, I completely agree with you. And I again I could go on a soapbox about that as well. <laughs> but you said yes to those opportunities, and then you chose not to pursue them when basketball wasn't really a thing you loved, right? That. I, my dad used to have a rule because I would be the sort of kid that I'd see a sport and think, oh, I want to try that one or that one. And before he'd go out and buy any equipment or anything, I, no, we're going to take you to the soccer field and sign you up and you're going to play. And then I find out, ooh, you know, that kind of that soccer ball is really hard when it kicks and when it hits you on the head, it can kind of hurt. Right. And so it's that it's that you, you stay through something, but then you adjust. Exactly. Yeah. Right. No. And, and, you know, going back, you know, um, from that point, kind of, you know, twisting it into your, um, your view on education, we, we communicated a little bit um, before uh, we recorded this, but um, you mentioned about how education should be, but maybe not always how it unfolds. Um, is that kind of what you mean by that statement, you know, kind of re relating it back to, you know, sports? Yes. And so let me give you this. If you think about a, when you're a child and you're going through K through 12 education, there are certain things you have to know well enough to move to a next level. You have to know how to read in order to be able to learn anything of consequence later. I mean, that's really a core skill. You should learn to write. Uh, I continue to try to convince students of that, even in an era of Twitter and, you know, uh, emojis. But we all should learn to write a good sentence, uh, at least. You, we do need to learn math. We need to learn basic concepts before we can move up. But what often happens is, especially around high school in the first few years of college, you have core requirements you have to take that you're just flat out not as interested in as others. And so this is where we get to here at Texas Tech. We have this wonderful college of media and communication with all these different majors and a whole a lot of where we have certificate programs at the undergraduate level. You can get a certificate in sports media at the graduate level. We're just bringing online. A, sport, a strategic sport communication certificate where you can take within your core grad program, you can take four specific courses that will then say on your transcript, you're, you've actually focused on sports. Now, we're doing that because if I can reach out, one of the things I always tell friends who say, oh, I can't imagine you, you know, you're teaching now. You had this long career before. 
what what is the thing about it? You know, how hard is it? Like they always imagine there's disciplinary problems or it's really difficult. And I often say, no, enthusiasm for the subject is not my problem. Every student who signs up for a class with the word sports in it is either really interested in sports, really interested in thinking about I might want to work in sports, or they just like sports. So that sounds like fun, right? And they take the class. And then I sort of suck them into, okay, now you're going to learn to write a little bit because we have to communicate about sports. Oh, and by the way, math is kind of a big part of sports. And it's not complicated. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. But you have to know you know, what, what the yard markers mean in the sport of football. And what do you do if a player loses yardage on a play? How do you account for that, right? So you get them. I get students at a place where they're interested in the subject matter. But then they're also learning things that can be useful no matter what they end up doing. And I too often think, especially like I think that a student comes out of high school, or let's talk about, right, how dreadful it's been during a pandemic. And, and now you got to go back in on uncertain times, and we're a little bit behind, or we haven't been social with other people for a while. So there's a whole lot we have to learn, relearn. Um, but to engage a student now, when they have, like, if you, if you take the average eight-year-old boy who wants to learn to do something, how does he learn it? He goes to YouTube and finds somebody who's put a video and teaches himself that something. And that, I think, is a really important part of education is it's the motivation and the passion for what that little boy is learning. This is just such a cool, like you are like speaking to my heart right here, right now, because as a former educator, and I'll call myself an educator, even though I worked in IT, I was um, in charge of IT, both on the instructional and on the infrastructure side. So hearing you talk about this instructional design and, and the engagement, um, you know, in K-12, this is something that I mean, I, I spent my entire career working with curriculum and instructions departments trying to figure this out. Like, how do we bring these experiences to students and how do we get to their passion and, and, and then sneak in the, the stuff that they're supposed to learn, right? Exactly. And, and actually, right, they usually don't mind learning how to write the one sentence if it's about describing a football game. Right, right. And, and there's so much that, that we had have placed on, well, it, everybody has to write about their winter vacation or whatever, you know, and so it's really getting at the place where you can differentiate for, for all these students, because obviously in K-12, it's, you know, you have, <laughs> you have who you have in your classroom, right? And, and um, allowing them to write about what they're passionate about or what they're interested in. And, and integrating, you know, their passion into the math subjects and, and the, the English and history, because all, it's all relevant to whatever they're passionate about. So yeah, you're, you're totally speaking right to my, to my heart here. <laughs> and I think too many younger people, and I, I use younger because often, right, I, I often have working adults in my classes in, the, in our graduate programs. We have a strategic communication and innovation program 
that's really geared toward working professionals who want to earn a master's degree while still working. So it's, it's real flexible. It's completely online. They can do one after another. Um, the difference between, and I, I call my, and I lovingly mean this, the undergraduate and those first you know, students who graduate, but then they stay right away to get their graduate degree, they're sort of pre-emergent adults. Their brains are not as fully formed. They don't have the experience of that first two to five years of work experience. And they're, they work very hard to try to learn what experience will teach you as an adult anyway. So it's interesting when I get those classes where I have a mix of people who are working really hard to try to extrapolate, right, a case study to try to think through, well, if I was in that job, I would do this and this from a working professional who for 10 years hasn't been reading the theory, which nobody, let's be honest, nobody likes to read the theory. It's just inevitable. But they know, they go, oh, well, this is how it happens in my workplace. I just didn't know there was a, that somebody has studied that enough to put their name to the theory or to title the theory of why it's happening, which is one of the things about being a professor of practice. My eyes were opened when I went back to school as an aging, like I don't know what I'd call it, you know, an, on the other side of an emerging brain. <laughs> and, and my students will tell you I often joke an alcohol-soaked brain as well, although that's largely a joke, I will admit that. Um, but it's that, you know, you, you think about things so differently, but I remember the difference between my undergrad experience and my grad experience now, remember separated by 35 years was, oh my gosh, somebody got so into this that they studied it and have designed a model of how sports communication works, for example, where I just say, oh no, you know, it's me. And I call my friend Matt in the other office and we yell at each other for a little while and we figure out what we're going to do. And then they go, oh no, that's, you know, intra-organizational communication and planning. And it's like, oh, they've got models for this. And so where you are as a human, as you're tackling a subject, as a learner, is as important as any of the curriculum I put together or design. So there's all these facets to education that I find um, this is what really is why I say this is my calling is using the experiences of understanding what it feels like to lose. Nobody likes to fail or to lose, but then to get up again. I mean, you got all those great sports quotes. You have you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You have, you know, you don't, nobody, nobody learns when the team wins. You learn when you lose. You learn about teamwork, you learn, right, all those things, and they all work in education. No, you're exactly right. And like, I, I just have to go back to what you were saying about, you know, master students, because I was literally talking to the team about this earlier. You know, I worked directly, um, I, I had an internship and I worked for the professor, uh, the chair of music education um, at Texas Tech. And um, whenever we would talk about, you know, accepting uh, students to get their master's degree, and, um, you know, those who had teaching experience versus those who did not kind of what you were saying, going right into their master's degree right after earning their bachelor's, whenever they graduate with their master's, there is a clear difference, not just in uh, maturity, but in, you know, the, the content learned and the experiences they've had because uh, some of the master's students had already teached. They had taught for three to five years, right? And then 
the students who had no teaching experience whatsoever. Although you do have your master's, you're still a first-year teacher, and those experiences are you, – you cannot replace those with, you know, the, the, the experience of getting a master's degree. Yeah, and they're what – you know, I always find the perfect blend of a class for me, and many – most of my classes now are the online asynchronous, which means we all approach the classroom at a different time, but we engage with the materials that I've put together and I, my classes are very hands-on and applied. So you're going to do something. You're going to read a little bit. You're going to watch maybe a video or um, engage with something online. But then you're going to do something with it right away. It is always a better class when you have a good mixture of that experience level. Doesn't matter if, if you've been interested in sports for your whole life or even in, in the strategic communication classes. If you've done PR, you've done advertising. You've done none of it. It matters the experiences the adults bring into the environment, that classroom space, and how they share and collaborate with one another, right? In, an, in, a, in your master's program or in, in, again, if you're getting a PhD, you learn just as much from the other people with whom you're going to school. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, and even in in just a working, um, uh, in just entering the workforce in general, you know, a bright eyed, bushy tailed recent graduate um, with their master's, you know, like from college or, you know, even with their bachelor's from college entering the workforce, you know, who are you entering the workforce with? You're you're with a bunch of, you know, tenured um, employees at whatever, you know, company or school or uh, or whatever, wherever you're working with. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's just an <laughs> incredible learning experience all around. Yeah. And I'm someone who believes strongly in the most important thing I can do is curate the content for a learner to grab onto and then take it from there. You know, inspiring curiosity, which is something, you know, the other, the other main part of what I like to talk about is keeping a curious mind keeps you young. It keeps you mentally healthy. It, and going back to, we have all these students, you know, returning to uh, in, during uncertain times that, uh, you know, a hundred years, we haven't dealt with this. So there's really nobody alive who can tell you what it's going to look like in five years. It's how to re-engage their curiosity of why you want to learn. And I, I continue to think we would all be better off if we found where the learner's passions lie and try to cater to those passions. And at the same time, I challenge every learner, it's on you to realize maybe I don't love reading about uh, this particular, you know, I, I don't love reading about this particular theory. But if you're really interested in why social media works, or how this is happening, or how, how to take a good picture, a good action picture, then you need to understand and appreciate the the subtleties of learning about the perspective or learning about lenses and focus and the details that make you good at something else so you you know there's always a little bit of medicine you have to take with anything but finding that passion and finding a way to connect to staying curious i just think is is really a prescription for leading a better, healthier life. I know it works for adults because I went through it myself. And so I, right, I, I would like to inspire that. And, you know, here's another thing. The higher you go in education, the more you control what you're learning. You want to study 
pick a topic. You like reality TV shows, which I think are the worst thing in the world, by the way, but you want to study them and their effect on society. You can get a PhD in that. Sounds nuts, but you figure out what you love and you can do it. I'm currently, I signed up for the master class series and it's funny, right? It's no, I don't have Netflix. I don't, I don't have that, you know, because it's like, what's my media consumption versus what am I creating? Like, I like to try to balance those. I think we're all consuming too much uh, media as opposed to creating it. But I thought, I want, I want to learn how to make more of my online teaching uh, or classroom environments. I want to make them more game-like. I'm big on, uh, you know, using game theory to re-engage, how to create something that, that, again, will encourage while you're learning it, go ahead and fail, because that's what every video game does. Um, but, I, but I want what they're learning about to, to be a little more meaningful than, you know, what some of the video game, you know, I don't want them to shoot angry birds, <laughs> or whatever you do with an angry bird. But what I find so fascinating, so I'm, I'm currently taking a course through that with one of the game designers, one of the best game designers. And he talks about the books he reads are from all over, you know, all over the sciences. And he, this is a guy named Will Wright, who actually created the game SimCity. He talks about how he came up with that is he read a book on engineering and thought, well, I'm, I'm never going to become an engineer, but I want to play like that. Or, right, so you read about it, you get inspired in it in some other way that does connect with you. Which is where you and I, you started, we started with the introduction of, I do a lot of sports statistics. Because if I, if I cut to the core of what I love about sports, it's the sport. It's how does it work? How, what's the advantage? What's the strategy? Which is a reason baseball and softball are two of my favorites. Right? The, the, and baseball in particular because of, you know, you got the right-handed pitcher and the left-handed batter and you've got this and you've got that. Those little nuances that really show up through the data. And that is such a super nerdy thing, I realize. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm sitting here, you know, listening to you talk and I'm, there's a picture of my son just in my head. Like I'm just, I can just see him, you know, because he loves um, baseball and, and he doesn't watch it. He just looks at the statistics and he can tell you everything about the sport just by looking at the statistic and, you know, all of these things. And, and, and so just listening to you talk, I'm like, that is, that's just really cool. <laughs> it's well, and it's, it's okay. And that's a thing I don't think enough people tell younger students. If you're, you know, if you're uh, my nephew, when he was young, he used to draw these really dark comic book like characters. And I mean dark, like, why, why is there a knife sticking out of that person's head? But you know what? His technique was great. He was really interested in the art. And the graphic novel is a real thing. And, it, you know, it's, uh, he, he, learned, he learned to appreciate geometry because it helped him draw better. And so I think there are all these ways that if, and it, and it is difficult. I mean, let's be honest. Especially K through 12, if you have a large group of students, you sort of have the education system sort of means we have to teach inside the margins. We have to teach sort of middle of the road. Um, yeah. And that that's challenging. 
Yeah, it, it definitely is challenging. And, and, but it's almost like flipping it a little bit, you know, from the way you describe, you know, all of these experiences, it's, you know, taking what they love and then adding in the, the medicine, right? Instead of giving them the medicine before you figure out what they love. It, that is a great way to say it. I will use that. Thank you. <laughs> right? It's, it's the hiding the medicine like we do for the dog, right? It's in the baloney. Right, right. Putting it inside the treat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Jody, you know, I just honestly, I have um, one final question and it's kind of selfish um, because I am, um, I was born and raised in Lubbock. Um, my dad and I had our own like season tickets to the Texas Tech football games. Like there's a joke that goes around in my family. The tickets were for him and my mom to go. And then I went, my mom couldn't go for whatever reason. And I went to one game in her place and those tickets slowly became my dad's and mine. <laughs> so, uh -huh, you, um, that's terrible. You owe your mother. I really do. <laughs> I really do. And I, you know, we were there through the Mike Leach era, you know, and like, so I, I have invested so much of my life in Texas Tech sports. I know that sounds so like hokey, but, you know, being raised by a Red Raider and living in Lubbock, you know, I was just kind of thrown in. Well, you come by it honestly. That's right. Exactly right. Um, so just from your uh, perspective, point of view, you know, we have seen the steady rise, you know, from, uh, you know, specifically talking about basketball and baseball, the slow and steady rise in um, talent and in ranking in the in um, the basketball and baseball world. And then in football, we've kind of been on a little bit of a roller coaster. And those are, you know, of course, you know, being from Texas, and those are the three main sports, we are super successful in other departments such as tennis and everything like that. But can you give me your perspective and your point of view just on that? Because I'm just so curious from you working for the athletics department to teaching about it. So it's funny. Let's pretend I'm starting sports public relations and you're in my class. And I ask you, it's a class of 100, and I ask students, stand up if you label yourself a sports fan. And I believe you would have stood up. Now. Keep standing if I offer you a job and I tell you that you're going to work a women's basketball game on this Super Bowl Sunday. Do you still call yourself a sports fan? And, and I'd see students sit down. And then I say, now, I'm going to ask you to go out and learn how to uh, go to the ho ice hockey rink and learn how to announce an ice hockey game sit down, right? It turns out most people identify uh, anymore, and I, I really do. If I were a researching professor, and I, I do, I partner with some of my researching colleagues for some concepts, I would be researching the fact that we're no longer really raising people who are sports fans. We're raising people who are sports spectacle fans. Like you like the spectacle. You also attach to it because it is your hometown. That's why I say you come by it naturally. You in your brain, your patterns of awareness are about the three big American sports, football, basketball, and baseball, right? But I will tell you the most successful team Texas Tech has and has had over these past two decades is I'm going to go with track and field first 
and golf second. Uh, we have, you know, unparalleled men's and women's golf athletes and teams doing great things. The men's team, I don't think, has missed a postseason for a long time. So my perspective is the is sports as a whole. Because again, my job anytime I was working in sports is tell the story of the golfer, tell the story of whatever it is, right? The most, the most excitement I had during my time at Texas Tech. Now, yeah, uh, Crabtree to Her- or Harold to Crabtree was pretty fun. It was pretty great, right? It was a pretty big moment. Uh, Sally Kipiego was a bigger moment for me. You need to you need to look her up, right? She was inducted into the Hall of Fame last year. Sally was a cross country runner who never lost a race. I'm going to say that again. She never lost a race for Texas Tech until so in cross country she didn't. She was a four time NCAA champion or three time I can't remember which before she went pro, but never lost a race. The only time she did, she finished second, and it was because her coach asked her to run a distance that wasn't her number one. But for the good of the team, she did it. And for my money, and that was one of those, she earned enough points. We, we didn't win the national championship, but it, it was just a big moment. For me, it's all the same as Harold the Crabtree because I love all sports. And, you know, it turns out after much reflection about my life, what I love about sports are how they work fundamentally, that statistics, all that, but how the people who pursue excellence every day, they go out and they practice every day, every day, every day, so that you can go and enjoy the spectacle of that practice. So when I, I will tell you, when I hear people say, oh, you know, football has been a little down or whatever. No, this has been hardworking, good young men who've been out on a field to, and where they were to where they are now. I, I'm so proud of that football team, right? So there you have it. So I'm not really the best person to ask. No, that was, no, that was perfect. That was perfect. That's, it's truly exactly like what I wanted to hear because you're exactly right. There's so much great stuff going on. I often tell students this, I can go on about how hard they're working and what they're doing and how great things are. And you, you did say this, or the athletics department as a whole, the, the volleyball team was in the NC2A championships this year. I mean, they made it to the postseason. That's a team that used to be dominant in the late eighties and nineties. And then they play in the toughest conference in the country in the big 12 for many, many years, even going back to when Nebraska was in it. And a difficult thing to make it there. They're in. The baseball team has been dominant. The softball team has been up and down, but up quite a lot. Uh, It's just an athletic department that this community should be proud of that's doing a lot more with a lot fewer resources in many ways. But I will tell you, I could go on the same gushing way about a smaller program uh, a division three, uh, let's talk about LCU athletics, right? I mean, we, there are, there are schools because it's wherever the community is, that's, uh, you know, that's what being a true lover of sports is about is do you love that? Can you find the story in that sport and love it for what it is? 
It's, it can be very difficult to do, but you learn when you work in sports that the, the teams that are competing at Baylor or at, in, in my day with, with tech athletics, Texas A&M and Texas and all the other schools, the people you work closely with are the people doing your same job at another school. And so you sort of break down those rival barriers and you recognize these are really great people too. And you know what I really just love about what you, what you said in your so- story about Sally is, you know, we can hear your appreciation. It's more than just the sport, the appreciation for the athlete, the appreciation for their, their ability, the appreciation for the hard work that they put in, which is, is exactly, you've, you've really talked about this entire time about, you know, figuring out what your passion is and then taking the steps to reach the goal. To be excellent at it, exactly. And, you know, you, you and I know this. There are so many people who live lives in a comfortable way, uh, professionally, let's say, or educationally. I, I took this class. I did okay. I got a B. I got an A, whatever. I didn't really care about it. But then you go on to live these sort of, um, what, mediocre lives. And the people... I want to work with the people I want, the students I want to inspire are the ones who want to be excellent, who want to pursue excellence. Because at the end of, you know, now there are many people who have jobs that are careers that are fine and they pursue excellence in other areas of their life. They're their best father or the best mother or, and that's great. But it's that, are you, what are you doing every day to become more excellent? And more well-prepared. And man, I will, you know, I root for those. And, and often they don't have the brilliant resume of a Sally Kipiego. Often they're, you know, a third string safety that didn't really get to play that often. But man, that one play he made when he tackled that and saved a, a run back for a kickoff, that's the moment of his life. He worked all that time for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and I recognize I'm sort of a dying breed. Like I, I'm one who, can we turn off the music? It's a little too loud. <laughs> can we, can we not engage in all the screaming and we're shooting cannon? Can't we just go watch the basketball team? <laughs> but I get it, right? We have to, I mean, this is sports is such a big blow off steam entertainment. It's, it's, it's part of our culture. So I get it. But at the core of it, no, I'm about how does it all work and who's pursuing excellence? Who's pursuing excellence? Wow, I do too. No, I mean, Jody, I could just talk to you for hours. <laughs> I really could. Um, I'm sorry. I feel, again, I tell you, I ramble. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I, tr- no, truly, it's, it, it is meant as a compliment. Like, I could totally um, talk to you for hours. So, I mean, seriously, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, um, come on the podcast and, um, learn us a little as my dad would say. Well, listen, I appreciate what you folks are, are doing there and trying again, as, as Melissa and I talked a little bit earlier, scaling education and meeting learners where they need to be and where they are is really super helpful and and what you folks are doing to help teachers is is a big thing so thank you too 
Well, thanks again for joining us for this episode of RevoTalk, the podcast from RevoTrack Resource Management Systems. If you liked what you heard today, we have an amazing list of guests that we're excited for y'all to hear from. So follow RevoTalk so you never miss a new episode. Also feel free to follow us on social media. We are on all of the major platforms under RevoTrack Resource Management Systems. Until then, see you next time. Bye.